Well, good morning. As we begin this morning, would you stand as we read our scripture? We're going to begin in verse 18, which is where we left off last week. And we find these words. It's the first chapter of James. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so pre prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks, in, looks at his face in a mirror and, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Lord, as we open up your word today, be present. Lord, speak to us. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. These um, days have been hard on pastors. Well, actually, I, they've been hard on everyone. I mean, there are so many different conflicting views as to what is right and, and wrong with regards to navigating the, the pandemic that we're in. And then, with, then there's this world that we live in with wars and fires and earthquakes and hurricanes. I mean, everybody has an opinion about everything. And all too often, emotions are expressed in some pretty inappropriate ways and times. Um, I have a, a pastor friend who a few months back shared that in the middle of a meeting, somebody spoke up and said, why do you keep asking us to be like Jesus? I mean, isn't that what a Christian is? A little Christ? A little Jesus? One who's filled with the spirit of Jesus, taking Jesus into whatever situations we find ourselves in, acting like Jesus. I, I was reading Oswald Chambers last week, and I read these words. We're apt to forget that a man is not only committed to Jesus Christ for salvation. He is committed to Jesus Christ's view of God, of the world, of sin, and of the devil. And this will mean that he must recognize the responsibility of being transformed by the renewing of his mind. You see, James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing to Christians around the Roman Empire saying, don't deceive yourself and don't let others deceive you about what's right and wrong, about what it means to be a Christian. And so our first point this morning is just very simply, don't be deceived. You see, this letter that 
James is writing, he's trying to tell us what an authentic Christian looks like. And here James is saying that an authentic Christian is one who lets the word of God, the presence, and the power of God shape us in such a way as that we live differently than those who do not know Jesus. I mean, in short, James is saying to listen to the word and then put the word into action. And and thus the title of our series, Faith Works. We're not just to know the word, we're to let the word transform and inform all that we do and say, all that we think, all that we live for. Now, James knows something about what it is to be deceived. I mean, he grew up thinking that Jesus was no more than his older brother. As Tim mentioned a few weeks back, it wasn't until James had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus that he began to understand who Jesus really was. I mean, that encounter changed everything. He was no longer deceived. Jesus wasn't just his older brother. He was now his Lord, his Savior. He's the one who had had given, who had been given all authority on heaven and on earth. Everything revolves around Jesus. And so James comes to realize that Jesus gave his all for him. And so for the rest of his life, James is about giving his all to Jesus. His life is all about being transformed so that he's like Jesus, so that he serves Jesus. You know, when I was growing up, there was a lot of talk about being born again. And as a teenager, I never really fully appreciated that terminology. But as an adult, I have come to understand that part of what being born again means is completely rethinking, being re-educated about what life is all about, about how to live life, about what's really important and about what's not so important. You see, the adversary wants to deceive us. I mean, that's what he did in the garden with Adam and Eve. He deceived them into thinking that God was somehow holding back, that God didn't have their best interest interest at heart, that they could evaluate things for themselves based on how they perceived what was right and wrong, that they could take things into their own hands and do it their way, that they, could somehow be in control. Well, the result is that by taking that fruit and eating, they stopped listening to the word of God. They stopped trusting in the word. They stopped making decisions based on the word. And instead, they listened to the world around them. They listened to what they thought was best, what looked best. They were deceived. And that act of eating the fruit became an act not of freedom, but enslavement. Jesus came to hit the restart button, to to free us up so that rather than living lives of deception, we could live lives of freedom. And so verse 18 said, he says this, he who chose to give his life through the word of truth that we might be a kind, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruit for all that he created. We have been given new birth, new life through the word. The word being Jesus and his presence within us, the presence of the spirit within us. 
The word being the truth that Jesus proclaimed. The word being the totality of scripture. We have been given the word in order that in Jesus and in his ways of doing things, we might have life. That we might be the first fruits. That we might be the evidence of the reality of God, of his love and his presence and his power and his life. Showing the world how to live life and about what life is really about and about what's really important. James is writing, asking, are you being that kind of evidence? Have you let the word of God have its way in your life such that it transforms everything about you? You see, rather than being deceived by the ways of the world, rather than letting television and, and social media and the advertising industry and people around us inform us as to what is right and wrong, what life is all about and how to live it, we are called to let God's word inform us as to what is really going on, what is really important. And then we're called to live life based on the truth of that word, God's way, with God's purposes in mind. You see, being a follower of Jesus is not just about the future. It's not just about something that happens after we die. It's about what is happening right now. It's about bringing the reality of Jesus' kingdom rule and his way of life to bear on the situations that we find ourselves in right now. And so the question becomes, and this is our second point, are we letting the word of God shape us now? Are we letting the word shape our beliefs and our values and our actions and our reactions, our hopes and our dreams, not to mention what we say and what we don't say? James 19 says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. This last year, I've been reading some books by Pete Cesario. This fall, we're studying James together as small groups, but I would encourage you this, this winter, talk to Andrea about using some of his books in your small groups. Bottom line, one of the things that Pete has taught me is not just to become aware of my emotions, but to stop and ask, why am I responding emotionally the way I'm responding? What inside of me is, is going on? What is causing those emotions to well up? And what might God want to say to me? What might he want me to hear in the midst of that emotion? I mean, for example, James says that human anger doesn't produce righteousness, right behavior, right activity. Now, there's a difference between human anger and godly anger. Human anger is when I kind of fly off the handle and lose my temper. Generally, it results in somehow my take, taking my emotions out on another person. And generally, the source of that anger revolves around me, my desires, my, my wants, my perceptions, my fears, or my not getting what I want 
in the way I wanted or in the timing I wanted it in. But what would happen if when I sensed those emotions wailing up, I stopped and asked, why is this happening? I, where am I feeling out of control? What's being threatened? Where do I feel like I'm being treated wrong or not listened to in, in such a way as that I need to set things right myself? And by the way, if I'm trying to set things right myself, have I not started to play God? Have I not started to take things into my own hands rather than asking God why he's allowing something to happen and what he's up to? Have I not stopped trusting God? You see, James calls us to not let our emotions have their way with us, but to instead focus on the word of God that is planted within us. Rather than being quick to speak, taking time to listen to God and what he is trying to say. Not to mention truly prayerfully listening to the other person that I might really respond to them in love and patience as God does with us. Hey, let me give you an example. If you're babysitting a, a five-year-old and, and you tell them it's time to go to bed and they say to you, no, I hate you. Do you take it personally? Probably not. Because you recognize that they're a five-year-old. They don't really hate you. They just don't want to go to bed. When I accept the word of God that is planted in me, when I'm in situations beyond my control, I am reminded that I'm a child of God, that God has my back, that he can do a better job of defending me than I can myself. I'm reminded that he has total control, that nothing happens without his permission. And so I seek him and for what he's doing, I wait on him rather than getting out in front of him. I'm reminded that I've been forgiven and that even if I just blew it, my shortcomings don't define me. His love defines me. I don't have to defend myself. I can admit my weaknesses and failures. I'm reminded that he's working all things to his glorious good and purposes. I'm reminded that if he can take care of the birds of the air, he can take care of me. I don't need to be worried or anxious. I can let go of being right, of, of grasping and holding onto things, or of being fearful. I'm reminded that by turning the other cheek, by walking that extra mile, I'm heaping coals of love on my enemy and showing my enemy the sacrificial love of Jesus. I'm reminded that rather than dwelling on what is wrong, if I instead dwell on what is true and good and right and pure and lovable and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, then rather than being uptight, I can have peace. You see, faith is not about intellectually believing in Jesus for when we die. Faith is stepping out and trusting our entire lives, our entire self to him right here and now. It's trusting myself to who he is and how he tells me to live and what he's doing, even when I don't get it. It's waiting on him rather than getting out in front of him or trying to control stuff. Everyone in Jesus' day had an opinion as to what the Messiah 
was to be like and do. What the result was that they were deceived. They didn't recognize Jesus, and instead they put him on a cross. Jesus didn't get into arguments with them. He wasn't quick to speak. Instead, he kept pointing them to Father God, to what it meant to trust in Father God and in his ways. Jesus wasn't about overthrowing Rome. He was just about using his life to love God, to be set apart for God's purposes, to love others. And by the way, one of the ways to truly love someone is to stop and listen to them, to be with them, to give them our undivided attention, to hear their words, not just their words, but their emotions and their pain and their struggles. And that's not easy to do. It takes time. It's a gift of sacrificial love. Speaking of sacrifice, Paul, in Galatians 2, writes these words. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. The life, life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Wow. In what I am doing for me or for Jesus? You see, the question doesn't become what do I want, but what does Jesus want? The question doesn't become what do I think is the right thing to do, but what does Jesus say is the right thing to do? I'm not to be concerned about having an easy life. Life isn't easy. I'm to be crucified to my desires so that others see the reality of Jesus, his rule and life and presence and love in me and through me. Because Jesus gave his all for me. Because as we heard last week, he is the giver of all good gifts. Because he reigns over all things, I can focus on giving my all for him. I can do that best by giving my all to others who Jesus has crossed my path. Again, it is one thing to quote scripture. It is something completely different to let it inform our reactions and our actions, our words and our attitudes in any given situation. You know, Jesus, James says that looking into scripture should be a little bit like looking into a mirror. I mean, when we look into a mirror, you see that, and you see that the clothes that you have on have a stain on them. What do you do? You go and you change your shirt. Or when you look into a mirror, you see that your hair is out of place. What do you do? You comb your hair. Jesus is calling us to look into the word of God and to change the way we behave accordingly. Now, which, by the way, if you don't look into a mirror, then you don't know whether or not your shirt needs to be changed. You don't know whether or not your hair needs to be combed. And if we're not regularly reading the word, let's say maybe one chapter of the New Testament in a psalm a day, five days a week, then we're not letting that word get inside of us in the first place. Now, James is going to go on and say that if rather than, rather than just reading the word, we're to look intently into it. We're to let it inform all we do, our values, our reactions, our perceptions, our goals, our purposes. And that if we do that, we will be blessed. And, and so we read in verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, 
not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Did you catch that, the perfect law that gives freedom? Our third point is to live in the freedom of the law. But that seems a little bit like a contradiction, law and freedom. Well, well, two things. When James uses the word law, he's not just talking about the Ten Commandments or a list of do's and don'ts or all the, the religious practices and sacrificial practices that are found in the book of Leviticus. He's talking about the entire word of God. He calls the entire set of scripture the law that gives freedom. Which brings me back to my question, are not law and freedom contradictions? Our world would deceive us into believing that. But actually, perfect law brings freedom. For example, what would happen if we didn't have laws about driving on the right side of the street? If we had a freedom to drive on whatever side of the street we wanted to drive on, rather than having freedom, we would have chaos. Driving wouldn't be fun, it would be dangerous and anxiety producing. Perfect law gives us boundaries that enable us to live freely. So what James is saying is that God's laws, the scriptures, rather than restricting us, actually enable us to live freely, to live life, life as it was created to be with joy and peace and purpose. James ends this section by telling us what an authentic Christ follower looks like. He summarizes the type of life that we will live if we listen intently into the word of God. In fact, he's going to use the rest of his letter to expound on these. He says that an authentic Christ follower puts into practice the perfect law of freedom as seen by keeping a tight rein on our tongues by caring for those who could not care for themselves, and by keeping ourselves from being polluted by the ways of the world. Now, very briefly, Jesus tells us that it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but it's what comes out of a man that shows whether or not he's defiled or not. The words that we speak, the topics we discuss, the tone we use all show what's in our hearts what we're really trusting in, what our real desires are, what is of ultimate importance, whether or not we're allowing the word and the ways and the values of God to inform our lives, whether or not our lives are revolving around Jesus and living to be a blessing to him, or whether or not we're asking Jesus to revolve around our wants and desires. What comes out of our mouths shows what is in our hearts. And then he goes on, if we are really allowing our lives to revolve around Jesus and his desires, then we're going to keep his commands. We're going to love God with our heart and mind and soul, living for God, being holy, being set apart from the world and its polluted, deceptive ways. And we'll find ourselves living for him as we love others, as we love ourselves, as we take care of the poor, those who are hurting and can't care for themselves, as we truly listen to others rather than telling them where they're wrong. Our adversary, the world, would say that what is really important is my comfort, my wants, my desires. 
Jesus says what is really important is what is in your heart, as seen by what comes out of your mouth. Your love for the poor. And you're being set apart to be used by God, holy for God. God is in control. He's not given up on us. He's even working in the midst of pandemics, even in the midst of world politics and natural desires. Our calling in the midst of all this is to keep going back to the word, to let the word inform our perspective, to let the word inform our behavior, our activities, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, taking care of those who can't care for themselves, sacrificially giving ourselves to others, especially those who don't deserve it. And it's to keep ourselves from being deceived and polluted by the ways of the world, by speaking encouraging words of blessing to all we come across. Jesus died for us. He reigns. He's in control. We're called to live in the freedom that comes from the life he gives through the Spirit. And we do that by letting his word have its way in us. Step out on the word, and in doing so, be a first fruit, be evidence that Jesus and his kingdom is present. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, forgive us, for we do, like Adam and Eve, look around and make decisions. May we look to you. And Lord, may anyone who is trapped in not even knowing you reach out and just right now say, Jesus, show yourself. Come Holy Spirit, we want to step out into you that we might model you to others, that we might be Christ-like this week. In Jesus' name, amen.